Hello, everyone. Welcome to the SFSU GatorCast. This is your host, Mohamed Saber, and thank you for joining for today's episode. I am currently joined by Soumya Chandrasekharan, and she's an alumni of the SFSU College of Business class of 2020 and currently works as an AI engineer. When she was in school, she was a business management major and minored in computer science in Mandarin. And as a student, she was engaged in student organizations such as POW, Providing Opportunities for Women, and SF Hacks, the city's largest collegiate hackathon. And just as a disclaimer before we get started, we are currently employed by companies, and what we share today are our own points of views and not those of the companies we are employed by. Somia, thank you so much for being available. Yeah, hey, Mohammed, thanks so much for reaching out. Really exciting opportunity. Yeah, of course. And so before we talk about SFSU and everything, maybe we just talk about your background a little bit, where you grew up, your family, just hearing more about that would be a great place to start. I grew up in the Bay Area. I was born and raised in the Bay Area right here um, in Palo Alto. And I come from a very family-centric background. My parents, my little brother, my sister, she's a year older than me. They played a lot of influence on you know where I am today and what I'm doing and definitely play a heavy role in how my younger days were shaped. So growing up, we were, as a child of immigrants, relating to our culture is really important to my parents. It was really important to them that my siblings and I grew up knowing where we came from. So we were heavily engaged in different cultural activities, such as classical music, as vocal and instrumental, um, as well as classical dance. So these three activities mostly kept us really engaged. And, you know, we grew up with a sense of pride of our heritage, which, you know, is really important when you're, when you're trying to build an environment that really helps out more diverse communities or whatnot. We each come from different backgrounds, right? So it's really important. This gave me a lot of perspective as to being able to connect with others. So that was something that played a really large role in where I am today and how I regard myself today. I grew up speaking Thummer, which is my parents' mother tongue. They came from Tamil Nadu, which is the most southern state in India. It's things like that that kept us close to home, even though we only visited India probably a handful of times. That's great. And so I heard a lot there just being family-oriented and also culture being a big part of who you are and your identity and also the dance and the music and and being a part of activities Mm -hmm. there and everything. And so as you thought about what you wanted to do after graduating high school, how did you think about these different components of your upbringing and, and how did they fit into your decision to decide what you wanted to do next, if those things did fit in? And did you know what you wanted to do once you started pursuing university or or is that something that came later on? That's a great question because I was also thinking about this more recently when I was just kind of reminiscing. My dad is my greatest mentor and that whole idea of majoring in business management was actually kind of his idea that really grew on me. And, you know, when I first thought of majoring in business management, I thought, you know, yeah, I've always been team driven and had a pretty good sense of organization, been able to see the big picture. And so I had started the management program at state, but what really locked it in for me, and this happened actually in my senior year, I think it was a management 605 course. I had read an article and I wanted to share this quote. It said, management is the most noble of professions if it's practiced well, because no other occupation offers as many ways to help others learn and grow take responsibility and be recognized for achievements, as well as contribute to um, the success of a team. And that really just completely summarized. And I feel like unconsciously, I knew that that's what the underlying meaning or impact of management is. But just reading that was such validation. And, you know, I was just so glad that I had gone down that career path. 
or that educational route. And kind of tying it back into your question, minoring in Chinese, I was learning Chinese in high school. We had a two-year language requirement, and I just decided to do Chinese for all four years of high school. And I've always liked learning languages, and that's you know, definitely impacted by the fact that you know I come from such a different culture, and being able to connect with another culture by learning their language was something that I was super keen about. So I'm learning Hindi right now, which is, I think, India's national language, but my family doesn't speak it. Just being able to connect with other cultures, knowing their language is super cool. And I've had amazing experiences speaking in Mandarin with just people, you know, everywhere. They're so kind. Maybe it's a Chinese restaurant or, you know, a random lady from Taiwan on the train. You know, just being able to connect has been super, super cool. And computer science, you know, I did minor in computer science and that actually doesn't necessarily tie in with much other than the fact that my dad works in the tech industry. So again, very big impact by him on me. And it wasn't actually something that he had started. My elder sister, who was enrolled in CS courses at the time, kind of inspired me to pursue, just, you know, take one class, see how you like it and it kind of started off that way. So let's talk about family a little bit more. It sounds like they're a really big influence in, in your life, decision-making and, and great role models that you mentioned and everything. Can you tell us a little bit more about how they were role models or, or how you knew that what they were teaching you was something that you wanted to follow with, with your dad, sister, namely, and, and others, if, if they were also role models in your life? Yeah. So my little brother is very precious to me. And a part of that, just being about four or five years older than him, I've always just wanted to be a good role model to him. So part of my choosing to show him to work hard or tell him to earn those grades or whatnot, partly what motivated me is me wanting him to see that working hard gets you places. And I've definitely, you know, struggled, right? You know, in high school, things weren't always the easiest for me to say. And, you know, just having that little kid look up to you so much just kind of inspires you to always do better for yourself. And it's, you know, the complete almost inverse with my sister, with the older sister. She's just always been this humble, stellar person that even today is just continuing to knock down so many obstacles in her way to pursue whatever it is that she wants to do. That motivates me to be like, you know, I want to be like her one day. And the same exact thing goes for both my parents, my mom and my dad both have been extremely supportive of whatever it is, you know, extracurriculars, hobbies, things I just wanted to learn, baking, painting, whatever it is, just kind of always supporting and, and not just always, you know, buying you whatever you need to bake. It's more just like supporting that progress or that wanting to bake, right? The effort. So it really did tie in. And you know, that continues today too. You know, I definitely want to be a good role model to um, my younger sibling. And my sister definitely lays the road out for, you know, me wanting to kind of match her or be with her or be alongside her as she continues to try new things. So yeah, family is definitely very influential for me to say the least. That's great. And, and so talking about like some of the barriers and, and how you look up to her as someone who, who breaks through barriers, and I know you touched on diversity a little bit and having that sense of identity being important. As you think about your own career, I know we're going to get into like your experiences at SFSU, but just overarchingly, did you see the barriers firsthand? What what were some of the barriers that you were noticing that you said, these are the barriers that I want to break through or that my sister's breaking through that I need to have a, a seat at the table or I need to make sure that diversity is being heard in a certain place that maybe it's not being heard in as much of right now? Right. Specifically in the case of my sister, she's working on her PhD in, at Berkeley right now, UC Berkeley in bioengineering. That is a field where you don't necessarily see a lot of women, women of color too, kind of sitting at the table, like you said, or or heading those meetings. 
And being able to see a version of yourself in a position of leadership or influence, that's very supportive, right? You know that there's someone like you out there leading certain efforts. And then imagine not seeing that. And then a matter of fact, imagine that you might feel unsupported, right? Because of certain non-inclusive environments, or it's just the nature of the team. Like this is just how the nature of the team is feeling that being unsupported and then being like, well, I want to become that person that eventually offers support to another person like myself, another young woman like myself. That's really empowering. And that's what I've seen her do. And, you know, the similar thing goes for women in, in the tech industry and in engineering, even in my computer science classes at school. One of the upper division courses, it was just me and my best friend who also was majoring in computer science. We were the only two women in the class, right? And that just is almost an immediate reflection of engineering teams in, in the workplace. I mean, I was just talking to, the, to her the other day and she mentioned the same thing. You know, she's the only girl in her team of 15 or so. And her team is extremely supportive of her and my team is extremely supportive of me, which is amazing. But the fact that, you know, imagine like in the event that I wasn't, I didn't feel supported or in the event that she didn't feel supported, you want someone to be able to give you that helping hand almost, right? And that is also missing for some people because there is no person similar to themselves in a situation like that, in a position like that. And so becoming that person or manifesting yourself to be that person, I think is part of the ultimate goal, right? You want to provide resources that weren't available to you, or you want to better the situation in the future somehow or contribute to that. I think those are really important overarching goals to keep in mind. Just thinking about SFSU, so you talked about what majors and the minors that you were a part of and everything. And so when you started thinking about how you wanted to be involved in the community aspect of it, what really stood out to you about the organizations? Maybe we'll start with POW. What made you want to be a part of POW? Was this also something that you saw as, hey, I'm already in classes where there's not a lot of women. And so if I could be the inspiring figure, or if I could help out someone who's also aspiring to be a woman in a position that there might not be a lot of women in, how did you think about that as it pertains to just inspiring others? Or or what role did you see yourself taking when you got into the organization? How did you see that grow and change over time as well? Great question. Yeah, I I joined PAL as a freshman, so I didn't quite see gaps or divides at that age yet. It was more like I wanted to find a group of students, like-minded students, women in business, and I found that through PAL. And PAL providing opportunities for women has multiple positions in the team that enable you to grow, learn, help others. And that's kind of the area, the realm I was in. I was in community outreach which basically meant, you know, we set up collaborations with local nonprofits. And that was something I'm really passionate about. And, you know, if you had asked me what I wanted to do when I was younger, like, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would have said help people, right? Which sounds nice and cute, all that for that age. But growing up and being able to actually participate in a org that allowed me to work with these organizations and through the organizations, the Limo Foundation was one of them. Being able to interact with them and the kids there is just really such a great opportunity to learn things you otherwise wouldn't have. That's one of the ways that POW empowered me. And there, of course, there were several resources, several workshops or whatnot that also kind of just help you become a better student slash women in business slash future, whatever you want to be. I've definitely carried some of the professional lessons we learned in that organization with me. 
just various workshops, like I mentioned a second ago, uh, resume workshops, like working on a resume is like second nature to me now. I've helped a lot of friends with fixing their resumes, you know, especially recently with the pandemic and all trying to find jobs and knock on wood, it's been really good to hear that. Some of them are hearing back from companies that they applied with all because of a resume change, right? Because it's such a big thing, the way resumes are read in. And, you know, all that kind of just goes back to the resources Powell gave its students and the leaders of Powell, you know, whatever we were able to provide the students with. And so talking about the Limo Foundation, I know you mentioned it briefly. Can you give a little color and background about what they do and then what you did with them as it pertains to like your volunteerism with the group? Yeah, so Limo is a nonprofit in Redwood City, and they offer academic and athletic support to underprivileged students. It's amazing, actually, very inspiring. So what I would do, what I was doing for a couple of years was tutoring once a week over there. So I tutor these kids in English and math or whatnot. And sometimes I'd get there earlier. They come from school to the foundation and they get a snack and they get this intense workout. It's just crazy. Like once, you know, I think I saw a girl pulling a car or something. It's just intense and it's amazing. And these girls are so fit and they're giving these students a leg up. They're giving them basically so much support for any one sport, like volleyball. There were volleyball lessons that would go on, basketball, basketball support. Not only are these kids thriving or getting resources with academic stuff, they're getting resources that will enable them to get college scholarships or athletic scholarships, which is so fantastic, right? What a way to enable people and just use the skill that they're given. It's a natural skill, you know, being talented in volleyball is something that the kid already had and just empowering the person to better those skills and then also simultaneously work on themselves academically. You know, I just love that. So I was tutoring there for a couple of years, and then we would also, POW has driven over to Limo several times to give them workshops, resume workshops. You know, they're a little younger, so we only did that once or twice, but just other workshops or socials. You know, we had a Halloween social where they painted all over our faces and, you know, just fun things to connect with an amazing group of kids. That wasn't the only place that you're volunteering with POW and also the Limo Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you got involved with Girls Who Code? Is that through your background with CS, is that something that you wanted to pass down to future generations after you noticed some of the the diversity gaps? Or how did you get involved with Girls Who Code? Yeah, that was exactly it. Actually, it was the summer after, I believe, my friend and I actually had done that together, the same friend that I was in the class with, where we were the only two women in the class. And we were just like, it's such a simple skill, right? It's such an accessible skill. There's so many free courses online nowadays to learn how to code. You'll see people in finance making the switch to a career in software development because so many courses just exist online where they're able to do that, which is fantastic. So we were like, let's engage with an organization where we can start our own chapter. So what we had done is we started our own chapter and made it virtual since it was the first summer after the pandemic. So we were one of of the first, or if not the first, virtual chapter of Girls of Code that we try to market our chapter and we got a handful of amazing girls, just so intelligent, so sweet, and just so funny. It was just really refreshing to be able to engage with them on that level. And it was an eight-week boot camp. So going into it, and I should mention that we both had experience teaching Introduction to Job at SFSU. We were both teaching the lab for Intro to Java. So we had a good amount of experience teaching and we were like, okay, now we have to take this content chapters one through eight maybe and simplify that so a seventh grader might understand you know just thinking back we didn't even have to simplify it that much because these girls were just so sharp 
which is really exciting. And, and one of the best things, well, I did major in a business degree and minored. I only minored in computer science and it just shows how much, you know, different worlds can collide, right? And computer science is one of those areas that you can combine with almost any interest. One of the girls wanted to be a cook, right? And, and she was still, she's an amazing coder. Another girl wanted to be a marine biologist, again, amazing coder. Another one wanted to be a music teacher. So they're not all just trying to get into the Googles and Amazons and Apples of the world. They're trying to do their own thing, but then see how they can use this very applicable skill set to enable them further in ways that others might not. So a very, very amazing and just humbling experience. And so just thinking about some of these other non-traditional or when I think of coding and everything, of course, I'm thinking software development, working for big tech. That's where my mind normally goes. And so if someone was a, a baker or an entrepreneur, what were some of the applications that they were thinking about using for learning Java or, or learning some other programming language that they'd be able to apply to their business that they had? That's the very start of the bootcamp. That was a conversation we had had. And, you know, some of the girls were like, well, we could make a website for a certain restaurant or we can make an app where you can custom order your cupcakes. You know, what kind of flavor should the batter be? What kind of toppings would the cupcake have? Things like that. So definitely on a smaller scale, but it's very applicable still, right? And when you have this tool that's coding in your hands, you can do whatever you want. You can become that, like you said, like that entrepreneur. You don't have to rely on some web developer to come and make you a website and think about the things that they might want for you. You can kind of make whatever you want, which is amazing and innovative and will, of course, put you further up higher on the leaderboard, right? Being able to showcase what you can do that's different than what others are currently doing. So just having another tool in their toolkit. And I know you mentioned SF Hacks. So can you tell us a little bit about that? It's I'm not too familiar with it. So if, if someone's not familiar with SF Hacks, how, how would you describe it, introduce it to them, and then how are you involved with it as well? Yeah, so SFHAX is San Francisco State University's collegiate hackathon. So a hackathon is an event where you get together for X amount of hours. It could be 24 hours. You know, some hackathons go up to 36 hours. The word hack is there. You're not necessarily hacking anything, but what is considered as a hack is some kind of application or some kind of just some product that you're making with tools or APIs that companies, sponsoring companies provide you. So a hackathon is, you know, imagine walking into a huge building. There are hundreds of coders, business people, marketing people, really whoever wants to get involved in this production process already gathered and we provide food and swag and different winning categories, companies that sponsor the event. So before the actual event, the leadership team will go and meet with companies and ask for sponsorships. Now those companies will provide the hackers with an API, which is basically like, you can think of it as like a starting kit for this hack. And basically it's just go time. Once the timer starts, you just start building and you try to make something crazy with whatever tools you have. You try to come up with an app that does something different than what already exists and how I got involved in SF Hacks. So, you know, SF Hacks is relatively new compared to the other hackathons that the universities around us have. So UC Berkeley is renowned for their hackathons, you know, very big, very well-organized, amazing prizes, amazing sponsoring companies. But the way I got involved with SF Hacks is, you know, I was kind of known as a business major among some of my computer science friends and they were like, hey, we need a treasurer. You must be good with numbers, right? And so I got involved as a treasurer, which basically meant that I like to think of it as like the sponsorship team gets the money and the treasurer kind of like spends the money to make the most amazing event you possibly can for 
or SFSU Gators. And SF Hacks means a lot to me because it's an opportunity where you get to showcase SFSU talent. And it's not just engineering talent. Of course, developing the product is definitely a lot of engineering, but you also have these business-minded folks there that are like, you know, how would the product make most sense from a customer point of view? And you have this these marketing people that are like, well, this is my opinion on how the UI would look best, you know, things like that. So it's a collection. And then, of course, you got your graphic designers, right, from the School of Arts coming over and providing their input. So it's just this fantastic way to showcase SFC talent to local hiring companies, which is amazing, right? Like it's a way to connect students with opportunities. That's exactly what we see it as. And unfortunately, SFPAX 2020, which is the year I was president for, you know, had to be canceled or postponed because of the pandemic. But the team is very alive and we're trying to throw an amazing hackathon every year. That's amazing. I, I didn't know about that. It sounds like it's, it's fairly new at San Francisco State. I didn't know it was by the school. And so that's awesome to hear that this is something that's going to be a legacy that continues now that you've graduated and they're going to continue to do at San Francisco State. And not only for computer science majors, but also majors across the university. I know you mentioned that there was the creative arts students. They also wanted people from other disciplines as well, marketing you mentioned. And so sounds like a great opportunity for different students to collaborate on projects and also showcase their talents, like you said, too. So that's, that's amazing. And so going into just your, your time outside of the clubs and, and thinking about your own career, and you started pursuing positions. So you interned at Lockheed, for example. Can you talk a little bit about that? How did you decide that this was the right company and then also the right role as you interned there? And was the decision made early on that this is what you wanted or or did you decide it over time that this is the right role for you after you explored it a little bit more? Yeah. So like a lot of other people that work at Lockheed, I've always been inspired by space and just really amazed at, you know, the whole concept of space. In first grade, my first grade teacher had gone over, we had a unit on the solar system and you know, it was just amazing to me that all these systems and whatnot and planets existed outside of our system, right? And that combined with the fact that a Lockheed Martin space directly deals with space, obviously, right? And that was something that I was like, you know, it's definitely a very appealing role for me. I was, you know, majoring in business. So naturally I had applied for a finance analysis internship and that's where it kind of got started. I love the work culture. Very, Lockheed's very big on work-life balance and had an amazing experience. So much so that, you know, I came back every summer. I went into program management and a program management internship, a business operations management internship. Around the end of that third finance internship, actually, like I started learning more about AI. And around that time is when I started teaching computer science at SF State. You know, I started getting more involved in these more computer science-oriented aspects of my life. Girls of Code, right? And so I, I networked my way into an AI internship with a team in our business innovation circle at work, department at work. It was amazing. The thing I love about innovative teams or digital transformation is that your mindset is innovation. You're never going to ever be like, this is how we've always done things. This is how we continue to do things. It's like, how do I do this better? And it's not, it's never like, oh, you're just an intern and you do things that you're told. It's like listening to my ideas and making those feel important, valid, and just invaluable. There have been several times when my, my input as an intern was taken and actually made a part of the process, made a part of the engineering process because, you know, they really respect that. And so I felt, you know, that it was a challenging role where I'd learn a lot 
because a lot of my CS background is in software development. So AI was definitely a little new, but I can't look back. It's been an amazing ride. and I can't believe it's almost been a year since I graduated. Time has gone by fast. Did you notice differences with just going back to gender and the parity of gender? Did you notice that there was more women in other roles outside of technology-related or engineering-related roles, or, or was that also a gap in the other departments that you're a part of? There's definitely a lot more women in, in business when I was interning in, in finance and biz ops. And one thing I've noticed, though, is that there's a lot of women in management and engineering, which is fantastic. And I guess what we're seeing might be an imbalance in the number of actual engineers in the team. And the interesting thing is, is that the resumes you get, you know, the majority of them may not be of any women applying, which is really interesting because it's like, are we doing enough to promote engineering to women? Like, is that something that they generally want to stay away from? Or is that just something that they are not given enough resource to learn about? And that kind of takes me back to one of the students I was talking to at SF State recently. She was reaching out to me, telling me that she had chosen to major in computer science after talking to me, which is like a really, it was really sweet of her to reach out. And I definitely felt like, well, you know, if that took a conversation, right, if it was just a little bit of my time, a conversation, a list of resources, a list of support that enabled her to make that decision, well, you know, I definitely, I don't want to take credit for her making that decision, but it does beg the question, you know, how much support is out there, especially given the fact that you don't necessarily find that support amongst your classmates. At least that was my experience and the experience of some of my female friends from school. But my team is amazing. You know, they're very, they're very supportive and it's really nice to have that. And I think that's something that I explored when I was at UC Berkeley. I was in a class during my MBA program where we explored this question about the numbers or, or the percentages of, of women in tech, especially in engineering roles, especially with many of my classmates being women in tech and noticing, A, to your point, not a lot of women in the engineering roles and especially like developers. And then B, that in management, it's also a challenge because if you don't have role models that are in these positions, then it's going to be a lot harder to aspire to or get the role model and mentoring you may need in order for you to develop into the kind of manager you need to be. And so we looked at this a little bit and tried to understand if this is a pipeline problem, is there not enough demand, or is there people who are qualified and not getting the jobs? What part of the process really was the uh, holding point? And so in your experience, have you seen where the biggest challenges are? Just I, I know you've been working with Girls Who Code, so everywhere from young ages, seventh graders and up, where do you think that the biggest challenge is for the number of engineers or, or women in tech to improve to a higher number would be? I think it's really about exposure. A lot of my male friends in coding, they had chosen to major in computer science, having been gamers all their lives. You know, they wanted to be in that game development industry. So that's like an immediate surge of interest. I personally don't game. And I don't know what the stats are on the, you know, the percent of male gamers versus female gamers, but I definitely feel like if there was that exposure or how many high schoolers do you think would know what software development does or is, or what computer science is or does, right? I don't have that answer. And I feel like if you knew what the concept of software was or what coding looks like and not just, you know, printing hello world, right? It's what does it do? How, how can you contribute once you study this area after a while. I feel like those conversations should be so engaging because I feel like AI is very inspiring and AI in space is something that 
I'm obviously very passionate about. And I can totally imagine conversations with high schoolers regarding AI and space going really well. Like imagine, you know, automatic intelligence, right? Like that, it's just artificial intelligence, just that cognitive intelligence, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> just happening in an environment that we physically can't touch necessarily. You know, that that's very stimulating. And I feel like conversations like that can get a lot more engagement than than a counselor kind of walking in and going over the course requirements or the course criteria for getting a computer science degree. So I feel like if we're able to have more conversations and maybe more engagement, maybe that's something that might help. Where do you see that going as far as just space and AI in the next five, 10 years? What, what are some things that, I don't know if you can talk about it, you can tell me if you can't, but where do you see the future of, in general, I guess more overarchingly, where do you see the future of space travel going? I know, especially lately, you see now it's becoming a, a tourist type activity for billionaires and, and potentially even millionaires in the near future. Is that going to be the future of space travel or, or is it still going to be exploratory or where are the resources going to be? Is it, yeah, what direction do you see that going in? Yeah, that, that's a fantastic question. And I can't get into it too much, but I will say that. I have a mentor at work and he, when he talks about AI in space, it sounds like sci-fi to me. It's because we haven't seen these kind of growth in space at this kind of rate. And so if this kind of acceleration continues, I feel like, you know, we won't be tied down to Texas, you know, in space, you know, you'll be able to kind of go much farther, much deeper and just learn so much more. And it's so important that we do. It's really a mind boggling to think about, you know, because AI is endless, space is endless. You put the two together, you're, you're thinking of all kind of extremely crazy, cool things. Yeah, that, that's really exciting. And so to your point, it's just as as more eyes and, and dollars get into these projects and the R&D really starts to focus in on just doing more, then a lot of the possibilities will be accelerated and a lot more opportunity will be there. That, that's exciting. And so are there other activities that you're involved in now that you've graduated at Lockheed or outside of Lockheed that you'd want to share? I'm continuing Girls of Code. First time my friend and I did it went really well, and we want to continue that engagement with interested girls, you know, especially the high school level, kind of like you mentioned, tapping into that, seeing if there's an interest. And what we're noticing is that there really is that interest, which is great. Otherwise, engagements like this right here, this amazing podcast, I, you know, I love connecting with current and former SFSU students. I think it's so important that kind of tying back to where we started the session remembering where we came from, right? And graduating from the Lamb Family College of Business, it took a village. Of course, I went through the program or whatnot, but the professors, um, the family, the faculty, they're all part of that, you know, especially if you really reach out to your professors and you see them as a great resource or whatnot. I feel like all that is just really wonderful engagement to have. That's great. I couldn't agree more that this is just such an important part about the journey, especially as alumni, is just having this place that we could still call home, still be a part of the community. And that was a big driving force for starting this podcast is I was always involved with fame since I was a finance major at SF State and I kept in touch with the alumni that I graduated with also with the students who came after us and, and continue to develop relationships and cultivate them related to finance. But I always noticed that out of this school that's so big, I didn't know as many people who are also graduates, but had different experiences because they were in different majors and everything. And so around this SF hack concept where a lot of majors and backgrounds of just diverse people are, are coming together and, and able to do something together, I think that's 
the true strength of SF State is alone, you could go so far. But when you're taking a village, to your point, you could go so much further. And I think that's just a, a great part about SF State and, and just being able to leverage that as students, as alumni, and for everyone who's on campus as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great. So with that, I think that's everything. Somia, thank you so much for being here. Can people get a hold of you? What's the best way for anybody who's interested to contact you? I, I know I contacted you and got to know you better through LinkedIn. What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, thanks so much, Mohammed. It was great to look back to memory lane with you today. Um, the best way for people to contact me would definitely be through LinkedIn. I'm on there. I usually share my updates or whatnot. Any Girls to Code events I have, you should put on there as well. So it'd definitely be the best way to contact me. All right, great. Well, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for joining us today for another episode of the SFSU GatorCast. And that's our episode. Thanks for tuning in and go Gators.